Thank you so much. You may be seated. So glad to see each one of you this morning on this beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thanking Lord for the water. Water, water everywhere. Real quickly, some reminders of opportunities to be blessed. Tomorrow is the ladies' annual Christmas luncheon at Stuffy's. If you have any questions, see Summer. No host luncheon at Stuffy's too. Um, a week from tomorrow will be our next fish distribution. And uh, there'll be boxes, food boxes put together with things that we purchase and things that CAP purchases. And, uh, but we'd also like to um, augment, supplement the normal box with some goodies for them to do some home baking. Um, so as you see, the, the containers out there in the foyer already, where there's cake mixes, cookie mixes, brownie mixes, um, if you can bring some of those in um, by next Sunday, because next Monday is when they'll be distributed. Um, or mittens, socks, and hats. Cash collections or cash donations are glad they accepted. And uh, there's already been a couple hundred dollars, laser listing, a couple hundred dollars put in uh, for that particular uh, purpose. Um, I remind the choir that the next rehearsal for our Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve service will be in the morning because it's Sunday, 8.15 and 11 o'clock, sharing together Christmas all year long, the songs that they've been working on for a month and a half. And now we're down to about four rehearsals, five rehearsals, and uh, looking forward to a great time of worship here on Christmas Eve, December the 24th, two weeks from today. It was just a month ago we did last Christmas, and here it is already. But uh, So plan on being with us. Bring your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws, and we'll have a great time here on Christmas Eve. I feel that I was blessed immensely by a sovereign act of God when I was born in February of the year of our Lord, sometime in the 20th century, to Robert Marlis Giles, in Longview, Washington, United States of America. Born with green eyes, dark hair, and destined to be five foot nine inches tall, even though I wanted to be at least six two and jump 42 inches vertically. That didn't happen either. So much of my existence and your existence is a result of God's sovereignty, and you had nothing to do with it. However, because God created us for the purpose of a reciprocating relationship, fellowship, he created us to be loved and to love, to love him. That's the first commandment, the greatest commandment of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
He gave to us the ability to make that decision. We call it the free will. Though I had no choice as to where I was born and when I was born, I now have the ability to choose where I live and how I live. In the reading that some of the fine men of the church have been doing the past couple of months in the book by Patrick Morley, The the Man in the Mirror, the chapter we discussed yesterday morning, the one we'll discuss this evening at 5 o'clock with the Sunday night crowd, is about decisions. How to make the right choice is the title of the, of the chapter. In the book, he makes a couple of statements that I want to begin with this morning. The first one is on the screen here. We all do exactly what we decide to do. We are the sum of our decisions. We all, we all do exactly what we decide to do. We are the sum of our decisions. And making no decision is a decision. We are the sum of those decisions. He went on in the next sentence to say um, what I just said, that not making a decision is, make, is making a decision. And then he wrote, decision-making determines who and what we are more than any other aspect of our life. Decision-making determines who and what we are more than any other aspect of our lives. Over and over in the world, in the Word of God, we are challenged to choose. We are challenged to make a decision and to act upon it. For example, in Moses' farewell address to the Israelites before the Lord took him up on the mount and buried him someplace, and Joshua's going to take him into the promised land, in that address he makes this declaration in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I, God speaking, have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Choose, he said, I've set before you choice, life and death, blessing and curse. You have doors to choose from. Choose life. Joshua's farewell address when they've gone into Canaan and they've taken many of the cities and he knows he's come to the end of his leadership, in his final address, he says in Joshua 24, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make a choice. We must make a decision. You choose. On a daily basis, we are all presented with decisions to be made. And every decision has consequences. 
as I said that, I had a flashback to eating that piece of cake that was in the, at 5 o'clock this morning. Um, every decision has consequences. In our ongoing study of the book of Genesis, we have arrived at chapter 13. Last Sunday, we talked about Abram's bad decision to go from Canaan to Egypt because there was a severe famine in the land. And the even worse decision to misrepresent himself by only telling the local people that he and Sarai were brother and sister. He didn't bother to tell them that they were a married half-brother and half-sister. And he ends up being rebuked by a pagan king, Pharaoh, for misrepresenting himself, which really comes down to his lack of faith of God. He didn't trust God to protect him. He thought he had to protect himself, so he becomes a schemer. The good news is there is always a place for repentance and forgiveness for the wrong choices that we have made. There is a place of new beginnings over and over and over again in the kingdom of the Lord. Because God's grace, God's loving kindness, God doesn't deal with us according to how we should be dealt with. He gives to us grace in this age that we live in. Though we may still endure some consequences, God does not give up on us. Abram did not become known and famous for his bad choices. He became famous for his good decisions. And though they may not have outnumbered the bad ones, those good decisions led to the blessing of God in a bountiful way. So we left Abram last Sunday, and as he was being escorted out of Egypt by Pharaoh's men, I mean, talk about humiliating, a police escort out of town and don't come back. We pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Then Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, where he had been first, where he had built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, proclaimed the name of the Lord. For just a moment, I want you to think of the contrast. We talked last week about chapter 12, and verse 10, where when the famine was in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. He went down. Now we come into chapter 13, and the first verse says, so Abram went up from Egypt. First he went down, but now he's going back up. That's good news. And when I read that, I thought about the parable that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter to be exact. And he starts the parable, there was a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Now, geographically, that's what happens because Jerusalem is elevated a long ways from Jericho. But preachers for centuries have always looked at that passage of Scripture and said he went down from the house of the Lord because Jerusalem is where the temple was. He went to a city. Jericho, remember, was that city in the Old Testament that God wiped out. And in fact, God said, if anybody rebuilds it, he'll lose his firstborn son. And that's what happened. The guy that built, rebuilt the city. It, it represents going away from the Lord. When he went down to Egypt, when Abram went down to Egypt, it was as if he was going away on his own thing, doing his own thing. The guy who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers. He fell into trouble. Abram went down from where he had built an altar and got himself in trouble. But point number one, Abram returned to Bethel. Abram returned to Bethel. God used Pharaoh to rebuke him, and he returned to Bethel. By the way, Bethel means the house of God. He returned to where he had left from. When we disobey the will of God, the only right thing to do is to go back where we left the will of God and make a new beginning. And I'm so thankful we can do that. 1 John 1, 9 said, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's faithful to forgive. When we confess, when we say the same thing He says, that's what confess means. Confess to say the same thing He says is to repent. It's not to say, I'm sorry I got caught. I mean, we've had children, they were really sorry they got caught, but they were never sorry about what they did because they'd keep on doing it, hoping they wouldn't get caught again. It only gets worse. When we say the same thing that he does, that means I repent from it. God forgives and he cleanses us. The good news is this. Number two, no failure has to be permanent in the school of faith. No failure has to be permanent in the school of faith. I can start over. I can have that moment blotted out of the book by the blood of Jesus Christ. Abram returned to the place. He made the altar first, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, or as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Here's a practical point of application that we learn from this story. Never abandon your altar. Never abandon your altar. I want to talk about the altar just for a moment. When we talk about an altar, what do you think of? Those of us who've been raised in church think of the wooden benches that most churches had years ago in the front where people would come and they would kneel down and pray. Nothing wrong with those. They're a good thing. We call them altar benches. 
But that's not the kind of altar that Abram was building or Noah built or God told Moses to build in the Old Testament. When they built an altar, when Noah built an altar, Abram built an altar, it was a matter of they gathered some stones and they piled it in such a manner that they could lay wood on top of it and build a fire. And then on top of that fire, they could lay the carcass of an animal to be consumed in that fire. Completely consumed. They would lay their hands upon that. As you read the book of of Leviticus, the worshiper would lay their hands upon the sacrifice saying, God, this animal represents my heart, my life. I bring it. I understand I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your atonement. And this animal represents my blood because if I die, then I'm dead. And it was in looking forward to the great sacrifice that Jesus would make. But when they brought something to the altar and put it on there for the sin offering, that total offering was consumed as a sacrifice before the Lord. Good news for us today, we don't have to bring a sheep, a bull, or even a bird and spill its blood on an altar and light it on fire because Jesus offered himself once for all as the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, because we're going to celebrate in two weeks, and you already begin celebrating Christmas. It starts right after Labor Day. (laughs) And the fact that he became human being, shed his blood. He became a human being through the womb of a virgin. So his blood was not polluted by Adam's genes which were sin, pure. He offered himself as a sacrifice, and the Scripture said he offered it once for all. The book of Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews says we have a better testament, a better covenant. But even though that's true, we we should not abandon the altar. Let me give you what I believe is true about the altar today. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now I know that some of you are going to disagree with me, but your husband is not your cross. Your wife is not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is laying down your will to do God's will. Deny himself, take up his cross. It's like coming to the altar that they built and say, Lord, here I am, everything that I am, I've committed it to you. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, That's where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Against these things there's no law. But in verse 24 he said, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They have made a choice. 
I am not going to let that passion that God says needed to be controlled, control me. I'm going to crucify it. And I hope you understand it metaphorically. Metaphorically, crucify the flesh. Paul said to have the same mind that Christ had. In, in Philippians, uh, that when he, he gave himself to, to the Lord, he submitted himself. In Romans chapter 12, never abandoning the altar is found right here. In verse 1, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Never abandon your altar. When Moses built the tabernacle that later became the temple, the place of worship, the house of the Lord, not only was there the altar at the outside of the holy place where they offered the blood of the animals, when they went into the holy place where the candlesticks were and the 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 bread, the manna that they had kept, right in front of the holies of holies was the altar of incense. Every morning and every night, there was a priest who would be chosen to cleanse himself, to go in in the morning and the night, and to offer up the incense and prayers for the nation of Israel every morning, every night. When I say never abandon your altar, each and every day there needs to be a fresh commitment of my person to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Each and every day there needs to be a fresh commitment of my person. Here I am, Lord. I present myself a living sacrifice, body, soul, and mind, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That, that is step number one in making good decisions. That is step number one in making good decisions, is my commitment to the Lord. Abram, on the heels of a couple of bad decisions, comes to the altar and makes a good one. And he calls again upon the name of the Lord. A fresh start. Deciding once again to proclaim in that culture of darkness and paganism, Yahweh is the living God. Abram had returned to Bethel. He had returned to the altar. He returned to a place of worship. He's where God wants him to be. In the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised, if you go, I'll give you this land for your generations to come. And no more has he finished worshiping the Lord than Abram is tested again. 
Abram is tested again. Do you know when your tests are going to be over? When we have what my father would call your graduation service. And you're either in an urn or a big box. Testing will all be done. Verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock at the time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Lot, we haven't talked a whole lot about him. We've mentioned his name in passing. Who was he? Lot was Abram's nephew. Lot was the son of Abram's older brother, Haran. Haran had died back in the Ur of Chaldees before Terah and Abram and Lot left it and went to the city of Haran. Lot was a tag-along with Abram. I can't tell you from reading this story whether because Haran had died, Haran had died, and whether Terah took the responsibility of being a father figure for Lot or whether Abraham did or how that goes. But we see Lot is tagging along. In spite of Abram's lack of faith in God and moved to Egypt, when they came out of Egypt, they were much richer than when they went in. They were given all kinds of livestock. We talked about that last week, including the female donkeys and camels. They were increased their human population because they were given servants to take care of all, all of these critters that they're leading around and to carry the silver and the gold. You know gold's pretty heavy, don't you? They needed people to carry these things. They had become so prosperous. They had so much livestock and so many people living in tents that the pasture land between Bethel and Ai was not able to sustain both family units and their respective entourage. They were crowded for space to sustain them. And the employees began to fight amongst each other, the herdsmen from Lot fighting with, because they're trying to get to the best pasture land, they're trying to get to the best watering holes, and they keep running into each other. Not only that, there were Canaanites and Perizzites living in the land doing the same thing. They had been there long enough. The Canaanites, they'd been under, they did not know that this wasn't their property anymore. They didn't know God was going to kick them out. So they saw Abram and Lot as aliens and foreigners who needed to be dealt with. So there's all kinds of trouble going on. The biggest issue and test for Abram at this point is what to do with his family and his wealth. Wealth is not always a blessing. Wealth is not always a blessing. How many families have been torn apart over the centuries 
over money or possessions. When the parents die and they haven't done the right thing and spent it all, families, I mean, better be, there's been murder involved in, over money. And the irony of it all is it seemed to be God's favor that brought all of this money and possessions to them. Their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsman Abram's livestock and the herdsman of Lot's livestock. Not all that different from you remember the old westerns we watched on TV? You still find them on some of those upper channels if you have a satellite where they would have these range wars and fighting for pasture land. Um, it was kind of like that. Point number five, Abram chose relationship over wealth. Abram chose relationship over wealth. Verse 8 says, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram says to his nephew, we have to do something about our living arrangements so we do not forget that we're family. I don't want anything to come between us, he says. Abram chose to be a peacemaker. He chose to be a peacemaker. Did you know that in Romans chapter 12 we're told to do the same thing? As much as is possible within you, live peaceably with all men. Abram says, Lot, we need to put some distance between us so there's no more range wars and critter rustling taking place in our respective crews. He took the initiative to be the peacemaker. He comes at this the situation with the same wisdom that Solomon would write about much later. In Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. It's like breaching the dam. What happens when you breach the dam? Have you tried to stop water? Sandbags everywhere? So quit before the quarrel breaks out. At this point, it seemed the strife is between the hired hands. Abram didn't want it to go any further into the family ties. And, and there's something in the original language that gives to us the tenderness with which Abram uh, approached the situation with his younger nephew, Lot. I want you to see how the Amplified Bible puts it. The Amplified Bible will give you an, an enlarged way to translate a passage of Scripture. So Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife, I beg of you, or maybe a more literal translation, or I pray you, please, between you and me, or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are relatives. Verse 9 said, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself, I beg of you, or I pray you, please, from me. 
If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you choose the right hand, then I'll go to the left. Now, let's think about this for a moment longer. Who was it that God had called to come to this land and said, I will give this to you and your offspring for inheritance? Who was it that God had promised, I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great? My recollection is God made the call and the promise to Uncle Abram. In fact, he told him to leave his kindred back in Ur. Lot's a tag-along. He's the one that Abram should have left in Ur. I guess we could say that by God-given rights, Abram could have said, Lot, it's time for you and your troops to head back to Ur. Go back to where we come from. God gave me this land. He's given it to me and my sons. And though you're my nephew and times you might be like my son, this strife between our men and women reminds me of what God said to the first time. So scram. Not only was there the call and the promise of God on Abram's side, there was also the cultural fact that he was the elder. And the expectation would be to honor the elders. It was his right to choose who, what, when, where. For the sake of relationship, Abram did not demand his rights. And that's a good principle to remember in all of your relationships. For the sake of relationship, Abram did not demand his rights. Lot, I pray you please, choose which way you want to move your family, herds, and flocks, and I will go the other way. I read a story that was excerpted from um, Leonard Sweet's book, Out of the Question, Into the Mystery. He wrote about a time when he was to be the keynote speaker at a leadership conference in Grand Canyon University there in Phoenix, Arizona. The chaplain of the university at that time, Tom Wiles, picked him up at the airport in his brand-new Ford Ranger truck. There was an immediate bond between these two men over their trucks. Leonard was bemoaning the fact that he just sold his Dodge truck, and, and Wiles, Tom, he has this brand-new Ford Ranger. And they're sharing their stories, and and they even laughed together when they saw a bumper sticker, there's nothing more beautiful than a man in his truck. When Leonard had gotten into Tom's truck, he noticed that there was two big scrapes in the paint near the passenger door. And he, and he says to Tom, what happened to the door? With a downcast voice, Tom replied, my neighbor's basketball pole fell left those dents and white scars. You're kidding. How awful. The truck is so new, I can even smell it. It's new. Tom responded, what's worse is my neighbor doesn't feel responsible for the damage. Now, Leonard rises to his new, found, new friend's defense. Did you contact your insurance company? 
How are you going to get him to pay for it? Tom responded, it's been a real spiritual journey. After a lot of soul searching and discussions with my wife about hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can either be in the right or I can, have an, I can be in relationship with my neighbor. I can either be in the right or I can be in relationship with my neighbor. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than my truck, I decided to be in relationship rather than be right. Besides, trucks are meant to be banged up, aren't they? So I got mine initiated in the real world a little sooner than I thought. Abram made that kind of choice. Lot, you choose. Right or left. What a contrast of what we talked about last week when Abram went down to Egypt. He went down there scheming to save his own skin. He put his wife in jeopardy to save his own skin. In Egypt, he put his trust in his wisdom, his ability. But when he came back to the altar at Bethel and began to worship God, Abram put his trust in the promise of God. Abram put his trust in the promise of God. We read from Proverbs chapter 3 last week. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, for he will make your path straight. And Abram had learned something in Egypt. Leaning to my own understanding gets me in trouble. But living by the promises of God is a very good thing for me. We talked a couple of weeks about faith. Just trust the bare word of God. Abram had returned to that confidence of God's promise. So Lot, please, I pray you, you choose which way you want to go. Put a distance between us so that our relationship can continue. In this test of his faith, because he'd been at the altar calling on the name of the Lord, he displayed the same attitude that Jesus did that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2. That each of you, Philippians 2, 4, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which, was in yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by the taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we understand who we are in Jesus Christ, you know that you're a joint heir with Christ? A joint heir? Do you know that Paul said today that we are presently seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been set free, or we should be set free, from the passion to grab those things in this world that 
the world counts on for a sense of worth and security. Our worth, our self-worth, and our security is found in this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I'm a child of God. Remember Jesus' words? He who tries to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Abram said to Lot, separate yourself. Choose which way you will, you're going to go. Number six, Lot chose to live by sight. Lot chose to live by sight. He didn't learn from the trip down to Egypt where they went by sight because there was water there and food there. Verse 10 says this, and Lot lifted up his eyes. Now, if you look at that in the original language, I'm told it's he lifted up his eyes and he gave it a really good look. If it's hunting, that means he brought out his spotting scope and set it up and scanned the whole hillside. He lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. He equates it to Eden. Like the land of Egypt where he just came from in the direction of Zoar where the Nile has irrigated everything. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That parenthetical Moses puts in there. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now my understanding is Bethel is on a plain that's about 3,000 feet above sea level. And a short distance from there, there's, there's a a famous prominence, and the name is in Hebrew, and I don't know how to say Hebrew words, so I won't say it. But it was a high spot where you stood and you could look down over the lower plain of the Jordan Valley. Lot sees water. He sees grand green plants. It speaks of fertile soil. I don't think it was a mistake that Moses said it was like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden where a man could have everything he needed or wanted. And he said, it's like Egypt, where they just came from, where the Nile River kept everything growing and green. Lot may have come out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't come out of Lot. Lot made a choice based on what he could see and personal gain. He looked around, he saw the green, verdant valley, he saw the cities that were there, and he said, I think that's the best place for me to go. I want to go there. Lot's choice would prove to be catastrophic. His choice would prove to be catastrophic. Verse 12 said, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against 
the Lord. As we go on in the story of Genesis, we're going to talk more about this moment in Lot's life and how it ends up. Now, Peter tells us that Lot was a righteous man. And what he saw in Sodom vexed his soul every, every day. Lot went down to Sodom, a rich man. There will come a day, we'll read about it later, when he will leave that city with only the shirt on his back. Everything that he had, except his two daughters, will be lost in Sodom. Now, there's a whole lot I really don't understand about him being called a righteous man and things ending up the way that he ended up. Unless it's in the context of what the Apostle Paul writes about when he's writing to the Corinthians church, 1 Corinthians, which happens to be the second letter that he wrote to them. We don't have the first one, so we call this one the first one. Did I lose you? In this, he talks about he said, I, I should be able to talk to you like you're spiritual people. But you're not spiritual. You are infants in Christ. Now notice, they're in Christ, but you're like infants. I can't give you strong word. I have to give you milk. Because you are still, the SV says fleshly. The NIV says worldly. The King James Version says you're still carnal. You're carnal. Born again, but they're living with a world, a worldly perspective, a world, a worldly worldview. The fleshly worldview. They're not living with a biblical worldview. They're carnal Christians. Maybe Lot falls into that particular place. He was a carnal believer, a worldly believer. He believed in God, but not enough to trust Him completely. He believed in God, but not enough to trust Him completely. Lot did not trust God enough to ask Him, God, which way should I go? He looked, and he chose to go to the valley of Jordan. He didn't say, Abram, let's pray about this for two or three days. Let's fast about this. He looked and saw what he wanted that would make him richer, make him more comfortable, make life easier for him. Lot's decision reminds me of people in our day. In our neck of the woods, people who make decisions regarding where they're going to live based upon what they want with no regard for what God wants. Lot reminds me of people who make vocational choices based on how much money I can make with no thought of what are the consequences of taking this job? Will it keep me from being connected to the body of Christ in the house of worship? What about my family? Will it keep me from being connected with my wife and my children? How many, how many marriages end after 30 or 40 years because somebody's been working all their life 
And when they get retired, they got two strangers who can't live together. But they made a lot of money on the road. Lot's choice makes me think about how often we make choices on, based upon what is in it for me. With no regard, does this bring honor to the kingdom of God and to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lot moved his tent as far as Sodom. The men in Sodom were black belt sinners of the highest degree. I mean, when it says that they were sinners in the eyes of God, I mean, we're all sinners, but when God marks them out, he's saying these are sinners on top of sinners. Lot said, I choose the Jordan Valley where the grass is green, the water is plentiful. There's obviously life going on. The question that Jesus asked, what does it profit a man? He gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Early on in ministry, I asked myself, what does it profit a man? If I build a great church and lose my own family. Choices. Choices. What brings honor to God? Let's read on in this story. We'll come back to Lot in a week or two or three or four. I don't know how many works. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length, the breadth of that land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oak of memory, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. The Lord spoke again to Abram. It's not on your notes. There might be a blank spot. You can write it in. The Lord spoke again to Abram. When he came back to the altar, we don't see God speaking, go down to Egypt. We don't even see God speaking, leave Egypt. Pharaoh declared that for God. God used Pharaoh to be a prophet. Leave. But when he comes back to the place of worship, he hears the voice of the Lord. Lift up your eyes. According to the Genesis Apocryphon, which is one of the seven Dead Sea Scrolls that was found in 1946, in that it says Abram was at Remoth Hazar, five miles northeast of Bethel in the highest spot in central Canaan, well over 3,000 feet. From where he was, he could see Mount Hermon in the north. He could see the Dead Sea and Hebron in the south. He could see the Jordan River to the east and the Mediterranean to the west. Kind of like when I've been up on the Mount St. Helens on the highest run or not, not Mount Hood, when they have the highest run on Mount Hood. And you can look out and you can see Mount Bachelor, Three Sisters. Um, you can just see forever. 
He could look. He had this 360. God says, I want you to look in all four directions. Three times he mentions his offspring. I'm going to give this land to your offspring forever. Your offspring will be as numerous as the dust on the earth. If you can count the dust. In chapter 15, he says, if you can count the stars. The reason he'll have so many offspring isn't because they were all born Jews. It's because Jesus came and broke down the wall between Gentile and Jews. And today the scripture says, if you are in Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed and heir to the promise. We are part of that great number of his offspring. Abram did not lose a thing when he gave up his rights to Lot. Abram did not lose a thing. He ended up in the Rocky Hills. If you've looked at any pictures of Israel, they grow rocks. My parents went to Israel years ago with Edith Klon and came back with slides. Remember slides? Every slide was full of rocks. People and rocks. That's where Abraham ended up. But he did not lose a thing. That's because our God is the one of Ephesians 3.20. To him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to his power at work within us. God can do incredible things. Have you heard the story about the little boy? His mom went to the local um, shop, the grocery store where they did their weekly shopping and the store owner there had a candy jar that he would put in front of kids and he would encourage them, you can reach in and grab a handful and take what you want. This particular day, he shoves the jar in front of this little boy, says, go ahead. The little boy, he's uncharacteristic, he held back. He didn't reach in. So the shop owner reached in and grabbed a handful and pulled it out and Gave it to the little boy. When they get outside, mom says, How did you, why did you become suddenly shy? That's not, your, you know, that's not the way you normally are. Why didn't you just reach in it? And the little boy said, because his hand's much bigger than mine. <laughs> the father's hand is much bigger than yours. So instead of grasping for things, just trust God. Do I need to repeat that? Instead of getting involved in the way of the world, reaching out to grab things, trust God. Trust God. Abram chose to trust God and was given a land forever. Lot chose a land that was totally destroyed in his lifetime. Sodom and Gomorrah and that valley became a barren wasteland. But God gave Abraham an inheritance for his children forever. In verse 17, God told Abraham to rise and walk the length, the breadth of the land that he could see from that high peak. To walk that land was a symbolic act signifying legal acquisition of the land. A symbolic act 
This is going to be my land. He walked it from the north to the south, east and west, claiming the promise of God, believing for the unseen. He was embracing the word of the Lord as his own. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, we have been given great and precious promises so that through those promises we become partakers of His divine nature. And then He gives us command. Make every effort to the acquisition of every promise God has made. Make every effort to take acquisition. I left out the word take on this. Put the word it's on your notes, I hope. Make every effort to take acquisition of every promise that God has made for us. Some people say, if God wants me to have something, he'll just give it to me. Paul said, make every effort to take acquisition of what God has promised. That we might become more like Jesus Christ. To be a man and woman of faith is not a passive thing. It is an ongoing action to flee lust, and to pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. It's an ongoing choice to put God first each and every day. To live to make our God famous. To live to bring Him glory. To live to see the kingdom of God come to pass here and now. One more time, verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. To make the right choices starts and ends with worship. To make the right choices starts and ends with worship. Genesis 13 begins with Abram returning to the first altar. Chapter 13 ends with him building a new altar in a new place. Yesterday morning, we had a service here for Faith Barker. 